ask for help. It's something that I, it took me a while just because I have a lot of pride and I think that I can teach myself anything, which might be true, but it might take years and that's not very smart. Uh, so every time I've asked for help, it's always led towards more progress um, and faster than I would have been able to do on my own. And most people want to help you succeed. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the CEO and founder of Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, feel free to reach out to us, go to strategymeeting.com and grab some time with us to chat. Today we have another great guest on the podcast, Nicole DeAngelis. That was, I, I started to stutter and then I think I made my way through it. Um, but uh, so it was a quick introduction to Nicole. Um, so she's in her own words, she was one of the weird people that she knew what she wanted to do when she was in middle school, um, grew up in Ohio, but went to New York and wanted to go in and be into marketing. So um, also, at, I think at the age of five years old was into art, um, and then went off to Temple University in Philadelphia, studied advertising, did several different internships, worked with a lot of people with a lot of different backgrounds and uh, like to understand, you know, kind of where they're coming from. Also, I think worked on political advertising for a period of time, um, interned, got hired to do digital ad agency after that, um, didn't like New York, decided it was, uh, wasn't the place for her, um, so decided to move out, uh, go to a different place, and also had an idea for an app that uh, worked on uh, with friends for a period of time. Uh, lived in Austin, I think in 2010 or so, um, revisited some of the ideas, the app development that they'd been uh, previously working on, did as a side project, had a few other things going along the way. And that kind of brings us up to where she's at with her business. So she'll talk a little bit more about, which is uh, refroth, uh, froth, or frosh, froth, frosh, frosh.com. <laughs> Uh, All right. Well, With that much as introduction, <laughs> you can correct anything that I slaughtered. Welcome on the podcast, Nicole. <laughs> um, I feel like I should hire you to like be my rep. That was such a good rundown. It was like <laughs> better than I could describe myself. So. Well, All right. Well, mission accomplished. I didn't slaughter it too badly. So. So I gave the quick 30 second or so run through and it was quite the journey to try and, or to get through, but uh, why don't you take us uh, back a bit in time to being kind of the, one of the weird middle, weird people you said in middle school that knew what she wanted to do and kind of how your journey started there. Yeah. So I was always um, really creative and always kind of thinking about the next thing that I should be doing um, and coming up with these oddball ideas and, you know, trying to get my parents to support them. My sister, I would make her my fashion model when I made uh, a dress out of curtains, things like that. Um, but, you know, I actually... I was pretty good in school, but I never really enjoyed uh, the hard, like the hard, I don't want to say hard, like they're hard, but like the hard science-y topics such as science and math. And um, I always loved art, but um, my, <laughs> I had a father who worked, uh, it, he, his career was in accounting and finance. And he basically was like, well, I'm not going to support you if you're an artist. So I would suggest you figure something else out to do. Maybe you should be a vet. 
because you love animals. And I was like, I hate science. So I was like thinking about what I wanted to do then because I knew that I, uh, I wanted to get out of Ohio where I was from and I knew that I would need to support myself. And I really liked art and I kind of got obsessed with watching commercials and referring products to people just because I saw them on TV. And I thought this would be a really, really cool thing to do. And at that point, I kind of got laser focused on working in advertising when I grew up. So, so now you got laser focused. You're going to do advertising when you grow up. You go off to school. You get a degree in advertising. Now, when you get after you get the degree and you're coming out with the, you know, with the with the degree, you're coming out of university. Kind of, where did your journey start from there? Where did you, you know, where did things pick up? Yeah, so um, I did a few different internships during college um, at a variety of different agencies, some larger, some smaller. And my last one was actually in New York at a digital agency. And I really liked working with the people there and I learned a ton. Um, And I thought I was going to go more into the design and art direction route. But after interning with them, they were like, hey, we think you'd be a good producer slash project manager. Do you want to do that? And I had been working um, on campus in our graphic design center for three years where I kind of ended up like leading our design team and managing our products or projects and workflow. And I thought, ah, that's interesting. I wouldn't have to be doing the the manual tweaking of every design and uh, the revisions because that's the annoying part, but I'd get to have a say in what's designed and developed. And that sounded interesting to me. So I joined that agency full-time when I graduated. So now, so you joined the agency and, and that was in New York. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So you did that and how long, or how long were you with the agency? Or how long did you do that for? Um, I was there for a couple of years. Um, I would have stayed longer if I made peace with the craziness that is living in New York. Great place to visit. Love visiting. Living there is a different story. So now, so you, you you find out, you say, okay, New York is a great place to visit. It's not so much where I want to live. You got, you know, but you do have your job with the the advertising agency and you've been doing that for a couple of years, getting experience there. With all of that, kind of how did you decide to make the leap? Where did you go to next? Kind of once you decided, okay, New York's not the place that I want to be at forever. What, or what, how did you decide to transition from there? Yeah, um, I had a good friend that I met in college. He was from Texas originally, and he was like all about Texas. And I used to make fun of him because I just thought Texas was like kind of a hillbilly place. I hate to say it, (laughs) coming from the Northeast. Um, But he invited me to come visit. He was like, I think you'd really like it. I think you'd really like Austin. I think you'd like the vibe. Um, So I came and visited at in the winter holiday, it was over New Year's and I had so much fun. The pool, like there were pools that were open. We could go swimming. It was January. Everyone was happy. We could get margaritas for like $2. And he told me how much his rent is. And I just like, my jaw dropped. Mm. So, um, yeah, I, you know, did some quick calculations and realized how much cheaper it would be to live here in Austin. And I kind of just did one of those reflections of my life and what I wanted to be doing and decided that I should quit my job and move to Austin and somehow convinced my parents to give me the third car that they happened to have because I decided I needed a car. So I drove down 
from New York. Um, my friend met me and yeah, it was, we got here on Valentine's Day in 2010. So now you get there on Valentine's Day, you know, did you have a job lined up? Did you have an idea of what you wanted to do? Or are you just going to say, hey, I'll move down. I'll figure it out when I get there. Kind of how did you transition from, you know, New York, had a job, you know, intern there, worked there for a couple of years to go into to Austin was, you know, did you have something lined up or how did you decide or how did you figure out what to do once you moved down there? I honestly didn't even look for a job before I moved down, which I know sounds insane, um, but I kind of just wanted a mental reset. I had, I mean, by the time, by that time in my life, I had already had like 30 different jobs. If you count all the different like gigs and things that I had done since I was in high school, mm-hmm. um, I was always like a very enterprising person. And I felt like I needed to give myself some time to have breathing room. I mean, I never studied abroad. I never like I started working right out of college. So for my own mental health, I decided to take a break. And then eventually, um, much to uh, the dismay of my parents, <laughs> I, I took on some like random part-time jobs that didn't really have anything to do with my degree, but were like nice for my mental health um, while also taking on some freelance projects. So I I got connected to different people that needed websites or brand development. And I worked on those projects to kind of keep fresh. So now, so you do that for a period of time and then, you know, you, and I also, you know, you make friends or make additional friends in Austin, decide you like it, you know, work the, the, the various kind of odd jobs in that. Now, how did you get back into uh re- is it refroth or frost? I can't remember re- how to pronounce it. Refrosh. All but right, refresh. Frost? I always want to say refresh. Cool. So then I get then I get tongue tied when I try and go to say it. So you, you how did you guys or where did that enter in, into the picture? Because I think it was a business that you kind of started, had the idea, set down, pick back up. So kind of how does that inter, intermix with your um, with the your journey as far as uh, going to New York and Austin and figuring out odd jobs and everything else? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I had always been exposed to a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds, just, you know, through working part-time from such a young age and also living in different cities. Um, so I've just, I've been one of those people watchers who likes to get insights about how people tick and how they operate and just common threads throughout, um, what makes us human. So I actually, that, I guess that sort of like informs where I'm coming from, but I had the idea for refresh when I was living in New York. Uh, one of the reasons why I didn't like living in New York so much was because it was really difficult to make friends there. And I felt like I was a weirdo because I couldn't make friends and I didn't even know how to talk about it. Like say, Hey, I want friends. Cause it felt almost too vulnerable to even put myself out there in that way. I would go to networking events. Um, I made friends with my coworkers. They were all older than me. We weren't in the same life stage, um, but it was really difficult. And at that point I had learned so much about technology and data um, and uh, you know how, how technology can connect us you know, with Facebook and things like that. Um, and I was just thinking, how could it how could technology connect us in a more meaningful way? 
where it's explicitly around helping you make friends based on things, based on data points that technology gathers about you, which we know now there's like an infinite amount of pieces of data. So I feel like I'm rambling. <laughs> no, but. I think that makes sense. So, so now you have that idea, you're kind of, okay, you know, you, you want to figure out a new way to network, how to make, you know, to, to get in a comfortable zone, to recreate that experience and kind of go through all of that. So now how did you build a business around that? Or did you build, start to build a business with a kind of a side hustle? Did you pick it up, put it down, kind of re- or refresh it or refresh it on kind of how that evolved to where it's at today? Yeah, so I had the idea for it in New York. I looked for some developers to help me because I knew that it wasn't something that I could build on my own. That didn't really prove fruitful. I moved to Austin, kind of let it go. Um, you know, had some life experiences, including living in France. And then I came back to Austin and I was like, okay, this is still a problem. It's not so much a problem for me right now because I have made friends. Um, cause Austin is a very easy place to get settled in, but it's still a problem for a lot of people. Um, so I set out and I found a developer to work with me who was also interested in the problem. We didn't meet through a mutual connection or anything like that. So I wouldn't say that the relationship was super strong necessarily. Mm-hmm. It was more out of convenience and he was great. But we ended up kind of having different visions about how it would move forward. So we went live for about nine months, attracted a few hundred members, had a big launch party, got a little bit of press, um, did these introductions in a very lo-fi manual way because we weren't interested in building tech until we had proven out um, that this kind of you know interaction friend making facilitation was something that people wanted. Um, and more importantly that they would pay for. So, so, so you see, so you, you kind of pick that back up and you say, okay, we've kind of got a mutual connection or at least someone that can help on the programming side, want to build it. So mm-hmm. did you, you know, after you bought your get back from, you know, seeing a, a bit of the world and going on, a, you know, and going on that stint, um, did you dive in full time? Did you do this as a side hustle? Did you fill, board, or, uh, form a team or kind of how did that kind of evolve along as you're saying, okay, this is still a problem that uh, we'd like to fix? Yeah, at that time, it was really me and my co-founder. I was, I I didn't know a fraction of what I know now about what it takes to actually launch a business. I, I knew a lot about advertising. I knew a lot about building websites. Um, I didn't really know a lot about fundraising or actually building a startup team and really rallying people around uh, what I was doing and what steps I needed to take to show traction. Um, so at that point, it really was the co-founder our small networks. He, I think, I don't think he was working at the time, um, but I was working at an ad agency in Austin um, because I, at that point, I didn't really have the savings to support myself and we weren't, we were making a very tiny amount of money. So I needed a job. Fair enough. So, 
So now kind of now bringing yourself forward. So where are things at today? What are you doing? You know, with uh, refroth with your, you know, any other, you know, supporting, you know, supporting yourself as you develop this kind of the same thing as the co-founder kind of where are things lie today. So I decided to pick this back up in March. So it's been a little less than two months at this point. Um, I was working full-time for a tech startup. Um, and I left that job at the end of the year, uh, kind of went back to that soul searching, uh, phase. I feel like it happens, you know, every 10 years or so, at least for me at this point. Um, and I had dabbled with starting a pet accessories business a couple of years ago while I was working full-time. And my first inclination was to try to move that forward. And at that point, after doing some more analysis um, about what it would take to really get it off the ground, I decided it wasn't the right move for me just because of how much capital would be required, how much competition had entered the space in the last two years, and um, frankly, a reliance on overseas suppliers, which wasn't making me comfortable in the end. Mm -hmm. So I hadn't really intended it was sort of in the back of my mind. Refresh always was there, especially after um, the emergence of Bumble, which happened pretty much a few months after uh, Refresh launched. And then with the growth of Tinder and other apps that people are using to meet people, um, the idea was always there. And I kind of always had some regret that it didn't move forward. So when I took that break, decided the pet accessories thing wasn't going to happen. I was like, okay, refresh. I had a place to start from. Of course, it's rebuilding it from the ground up, but let's do this thing. Mm. So now I, I have savings because I've been working for, I don't know, the past 15 years, not more. Um, and I have a pretty strong network. So I've been leaning heavily on people in my network. I've developed a small cohort of advisors that are helping me um, across technology, branding, um, operations. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I'm building a, a very small team of, uh, we'll call them contract part-time workers uh, that are helping uh, with more of the executional things around marketing, social media, um, and design. And I am on the hunt, but I'm taking a very kind of judicious approach this time i'm on a hunt for a technical co-founder because that's going to be key cool well sounds like a lot of things going on a lot of progress and a lot of uh road ahead to, to keep figuring things out so all, all exciting so well as we start to to wrap up the podcast i always have two questions and just as a heads up to everybody we'll also go over the bonus question and chat just a little about uh, intellectual property uh, if we get a, a minute at the end after the normal episode um, but as we jump to the two questions i always ask at the end um, first question I always ask is along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made and what did you learn from it? Yeah. So I was thinking about this, um, for quite a while because it's, sorry, I, I give these very like overthinking answers. I honestly feel like I can't say that there was one necessarily worst business decision because I'm definitely of that mindset that, every so-called bad decision is a learning opportunity. 
And because I haven't scaled a business to the extent that it's generating so much revenue, it has so many stakeholders. I feel like any decision that I make that isn't good at this point is a teachable moment and it's important for me to make. So I don't- So then I'm going to rephrase the question. So I'm not letting you get out of it. So (laughs) what was one of the teachable or decisions that you made that was a teachable moment over your journey? Getting myself into too many things, not saying no. Um, I, I get excited about things. I get excited about building and creating and we'll take the pet accessories business for an example there. Um, I made it, I made some decisions that I wouldn't make again. Uh, and that I went pretty far in the product development process without necessarily knowing that I was going to have revenues or how I was going to pay for, um, production. Mm. And I would have scaled back how many things I produced. And I also would have, uh, vetted out the vendors that I was using a little bit more carefully. That sounds like a great learning experience. Some might even call it a mistake that you learned from, but we won't call it that. So, <laughs> all right. So then now let's, or then as we go to the second question, which is if you're talking to somebody that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what'd be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Starting their own business or joining a startup? Starting their own business. We'll go with that. Okay. Ask for help. It's something that I, it took me a while just because I have a lot of pride and I think that I can teach myself anything, which might be true, but it might take years and that's not very smart. Uh, So every time I've asked for help, it's always led towards more progress um, and faster than I would have been able to do on my own. And most people want to help you succeed. No, and I tend to agree. And I think that sometimes we feel like, hey, we had to do it on our own. We don't want to burden people. We don't want to be a, a nuisance or, you know, mooch off them, so to speak. And yet most of the time, if you ask people for help, they'll either tell you, hey, we can't do it right now, but here's other people. We'll mm-hmm. give you some thoughts or feedback. But most of the time, people are pretty willing to to give a, lend a hand to, to help people out as they're, you know, doing whatever startup or small business they're getting going on. So I definitely think that's a, a great piece of advice. So well, as we wrap up and we'll ch- chat just for a minute uh, about uh, intellectual property here in just a minute with the bonus question, but as we wrap up, otherwise for people who want to re or check out refroth and uh, they want to find out more about it, they want to be a, they want to be a client, a customer, they want to be a user, they want to be an employee, they want to be an investor, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above, what's the best way to reach out and find out more? Well, you all of those things are great. Please reach out to me. However, whichever channel you prefer, um, all of our social is at, at refrosh. Uh, it's R E F R O S H. And my personal email is Nicole at refrosh.com. And you can visit us at refrosh.com. Simple. <laughs> All right. Simple as that. So I definitely encourage people to reach out, connect up and find out more. Um, so thank you again for coming on the podcast. Now, for all of you that are listeners, if you have your own journey to tell and you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, feel free to go to inventiveguest.com and apply to be on the show. Two more things as listeners. Uh, one is uh, make sure to click subscribe in your podcast players. So you know when all of our awesome episodes come out and to leave us a review so everybody else can find out about our awesome episodes. 
Last but not least, if you ever need any help with patents, trademarks, or anything else, feel free to grab some time with us to chat at strategymeeting.com. So now as we wrap up the normal part of the episode, we'll at least uh, talk or get an opportunity to chat just a little bit about intellectual property, which is obviously an area that I enjoy. And it's kind of fun to switch, you know, switch gears a bit. I always get asked the questions during the normal episode. So now I get to be put in the hot seat, so to speak. So with that, I'll turn it over to you to, uh, for what's a, a, an intellectual property question you have. So I understand uh, fairly well uh, intellectual, well, sorry, that. I understand a patent of a physical product. You have your diagram. Um, and actually, that's something that I explored with the pet accessories business because I had created this unique collar, which is also why it took quite a while to produce. Um, and that was a daunting process looking into that. There was a lot of, well, maybe you don't know. You have to put it out there. And it's very expensive to do that. Um, and I learned about provisional patents. Um, I did a lot of research about this. I guess, what advice do you give to people that are worried about defending their intellectual property, but might not have the money to invest in it and aren't sure if their idea is even patentable? Yeah, and I think there's uh, probably a couple questions in there. One is, you know, whether or not you should actually invest or whether or not you should dive in. And the other one is, let's say you do get a patent or, you know, you, you do invest in it, how you might going about uh, pr or protecting it or otherwise enforcing it as a small business or as a, as a startup. So on the first one, I would look at it and say, you know, in intellectual as a startup or small business, you always have more things to spend money on than money to spend. So as you're looking and saying, you know, weighing it, I would, first of all, make sure that you actually invest where you're going to get the business up and running because it doesn't matter if you have intellectual property if the business never gets up and running never goes anywhere the intellectual property isn't going to do you any good now with that said the the thing that you're going to then probably the next step is okay we've got the budget set aside we're going to get things kicked off we're going to get th things started now how do we protect it so really intellectual property patents trademarks copyrights whatever your business might be has serves kind of two purposes. One is kind of defensive, where it allows you to box out or to protect what you put all your blood, sweat, and tears in, what you develop, so that others can't come along and, and, and copy it or otherwise ride your coattails. The other thing that it does is also allows you to have an asset that's, you know, an actual valuable asset of the company that you can license, you can, you know, sell, you can, if you do a merger or an acquisition, or you try to get investors, anything of that nature, you can actually capture and, and get an asset that encapsulates a lot of the time and effort and money that you've invested for R&D. So that's kind of when you're trying to decide when does it make sense is when do you get to a point that you've invested enough with time, money, and effort, you're saying, hey, we have something here that we want to protect, that we want to have as an asset that we can invest in. On the flip side, you know, you ask a little bit about enforcement. Now, if I were to get into enforcement, it's it can be more different. It depends on who you're trying to enforce it against. If you're trying to enforce it against another small business, you know, then you may be able to compete. May say, you know, if you're saying, hey, we have the money, we're going to send you a cease and desist letter. You need to stop. A lot of times, small businesses are in the same boat. They don't know that they're infringing on you, and they'll stop. So that one is one that you can typically navigate a little bit more easier. Now, if you're up against a big business, it is going to be more difficult because it is expensive a lot of times to enforce. And if you're up against a big business that's better or better funded, then you're going to say we can't, we don't have the same amount of money to invest that they do. Um, there's a couple, always a couple options there. One is, you know, every business has a competitor, and you know, you try and think of Apple has Samsung, Pepsi has Coke, you know. Um, 
Ford has Chevy and all of those different companies, they always have a competitor, somebody that's up and coming, somebody that's a big competitor, and they're always trying to, you know, outdo one another. So if you're not able to necessarily enforce it yourself, a lot of times you can go to the competitor and say, hey, we have valuable intellectual property, we have great R&D, and you know, this, your competitors are starting to encroach in this phase or space. Would you like, you know, would you be interested in either licensing it from us, acquiring us or whatnot? And it can oftentimes give that, that competitor that competitive advantage and they can go out and force it for you. The other thing a lot of, or sometimes you can do is what's called a patent troll and patent trolls can get a good name and a bad name in the industry and they, they deserve both of them. Um, but a patent troll is basically someone that's not in the business of manufacturing things, but their business is basically to go out and enforce patents. So a lot of times they're going to look and say, you know, basically they'll go out for a percentage or for a, either a percentage of the company, percentage of the proceeds or whatever structure they work out, say, we'll go out and enforce this patent against those bigger companies because you have invested a lot of research and development time money and effort and they, they you should be compensated if somebody else goes out and infringe so that's another option as far as when you're looking for enforcement the last one you can do is sometimes it, the timing just isn't right you may say hey we're too small we're not big enough but hey we're going to keep going we've got a good business we're still getting bringing on revenue we're still be, are becoming better we're going to out innovate them now we're going to keep ahead of the market and then we're also going to bite our time so in three years four years five years down the road when we are big enough when we do have enough revenue then we're going to circle back we'll enforce it and we'll have the wherewithal to um, to make sure that we can keep that competitive edge. So there's a few different options as far as how you decide what to get and then how you decide to go about uh, enforcing it. So with that, I probably got on long enough with intellectual property. I could go on a much longer if I ever wanted to and nobody would want to listen except for myself. So with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up the podcast. Thank you again, Nicole, for coming on. It's been a fun, it's been a pleasure and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Thanks so much, Devin. This was fun.